Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. All right. What's up, guys? I'm Cole. I am about to be a senior at OU, studying business management. I think I know most of you in here, but if I don't, I'd love to meet you. But right now, I'm part of the summer residency here at Wildwood. So I'm basically just a college intern working with Kevin and Shanae and three other residents. But part of the opportunity that I get is to teach. So that's why Kevin's not up here, and I am. So let's jump right into it. Today, our main idea is going to be that as the Good Shepherd, Jesus protects his sheep. And because he protects his sheep, we should trust him and look to him for guidance. As Christians, we oftentimes tell people or hear this idea that like, you need to be saved or we need to get saved. But it wouldn't be that surprising to hear somebody say, like, what do I need to be saved from? Why do I need to be saved? So I have a video that I think demonstrates this pretty well. <laughs> All right. So if you know me, that's like right up my alley. Marvel is awesome. <laughs> but I really do think that was a perfect picture that describes this idea of like, we oftentimes don't think we need to be saved from anything, but just because we aren't aware of it doesn't mean we don't need to be saved. But the problem is that we don't think we need a good shepherd always. We don't always see this immediate threat of danger that's talked about in verse 10 right before our passage. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The sin problem addressed in the text seems to be that the danger of following other guides or other shepherds, but we have a tendency, each of us, to follow our heart when we're left to our own devices instead of following Jesus. But our goal today is going to be to see that we should know that we can trust God and look to him for guidance. Today we're going to see that as the good shepherd, Jesus protects his sheep, and because he protects his sheep, we should look to him for trust and for guidance. We're going to do that through three main points and see how Jesus protects us through his actions. The first is going to be the Good Shepherd protects his sheep with his own life. The Good Shepherd knows who he is protecting. And the Good Shepherd's ultimate protection comes through his death and resurrection. So to give a little bit of context to our passage, we didn't meet last week, had an all-in Sunday. But the week before that, Kevin did another I Am series where Jesus says, I am the door. The context for that passage and for our passage today is the same because his passage was the first 10 verses of this chapter. But Jesus is talking to the Jewish people here in Jerusalem. And the important thing is that he has just claimed that in order to be part of God's people, you must go through him. There is no other ways into the kingdom of God and no other people that we should follow. So we're going to be in John 10, 11 through 18. It's going to be on the screen, but uh, if you'll join me in reading that. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming 
and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. So, point number one is going to be, the good shepherd protects his sheep with his own life. But verse 11 starts off here with Jesus saying this I am statement. That's what the whole series is about. We see back in Exodus, when God is talking to Moses, he calls himself I am. And he calls himself that to describe his character, which is that he's eternal and self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody else. He's not dependent on any of us or anything. So by Jesus using this I am statement, he's claiming deity. He's claiming to be fully God, fully man. But in verse 11, we see that Jesus is unlike any other shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's not just one of the good shepherds that we could follow, one of the options. He is the only good shepherd. But the role of a shepherd uh, traditionally is just somebody who protects his sheep, guides them to water and green pastures so that they have food and water. And I think in 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36, we see this picture of David. David's talked about as a man after God's own heart. But before he was king or anything like that, he was just a shepherd. And one day while he was defending his sheep, he kills a lion and he kills a bear. And so David, we see that he was willing to die for his sheep. He did risk his life by fighting those animals. But Jesus isn't the same. He takes it one step farther. He doesn't, he's not just willing to die. He does actually die. And while those things seem very similar, and it seems almost good enough to be willing to, it's so different to actually do what you said. And I think John 15, 13 helps us see why Jesus would think this. He says, greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus has to say about dying for a friend. But Jesus doesn't just die for his friends. He also doesn't just die for one friend. He dies for his enemies. He dies for people who hate him, who will never come to know him and will reject him. But he also does die for those who love him. He died for the sins of the world. 1 John 2, 2 puts it really well. It says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. I mean, that just reiterates exactly what I just said. He doesn't just die for those who love him back. He dies for the people that crucified him, that literally did that, spat on him, did all these horrible things. He died for those people too, not just the people that love him. But now having seen how Jesus acts as the good shepherd, we're going to see how the hired hand contrasts. If you want to read along in verse 12, it says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So the hired hand here 
That's talking about the religious leaders of the day. Oftentimes we call them Pharisees. But the point of it is to show that whenever bad things happen or hard times come, these leaders who people are supposedly looking up to and following, they only care about themselves. They don't actually care about their flock, their followers. They don't love and care for their sheep in the same way that Jesus does. The hired hand will never lay down their life for the sheep. It's not that they can't, it's that they will never because they don't love them. And verse 13 continues by saying, a hired hand is not concerned for his sheep. He doesn't know his sheep, and so he doesn't love them like Jesus does. Because knowing something, truly having knowledge of something, is part of showing love to something or someone. And so we see that only the good shepherd is truly concerned for his sheep. And I think Psalm 23, 1 through 4 says it really well, and we'll have it up on the screen if you want to read with me. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul, guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. We see two starkly different pictures here. We see the hired hand who flees, who allows the wolf to come and snatch and scatter. We see chaos, we see fear. But in here, we see the exact opposite. We see Jesus, the good shepherd, leading us beside quiet waters, leading us to where we can find nourishment and peace, guides us in righteousness, and we don't have to fear. There is not chaos. There is no scattering, being afraid. We can find peace and hope in what Jesus provides. So it's kind of like this. There are viral videos of dads doing these crazy things to like save their kid on like one side of the room he'll be over here like changing a diaper doing something and behind him can't even see there's a crib and another baby climbing the walls of the crib like hanging over about to fall out and he doesn't even see it happening but as soon as the baby's about to fall he'll just lunge over and like one-handed catch the baby and they're fine or in a more extreme case there will be a kid riding a bike and they go into the street and the dad runs out to the street, almost getting hit by a car to grab the kid out of the way. And so we see these dads risking their lives for their kids. And in a similar way, once again, Jesus not only risked his life, he laid down his life for the sins of the world. He did that for us. And I think what we can learn from that is that if we truly believe that Jesus died for us and he saved us from death and a potential eternity separation from him then we owe our life to him he's the only reason that any of us are here having the ability to go to church to learn at all whether it's biblical things or not he's the only reason we have life so we ought to be humbling ourselves to his authority in not just some aspects of our lives not just the things that we choose that we want to give to him but every single aspect. This is what following Jesus means. Following him means to be giving up our desires, what we want, and to follow what he would desire of us instead. In college, we're faced with so many decisions all the time. Who we're gonna date, when we wanna get married, where we wanna go to college, what our major is, what job we wanna get after that, who we're gonna be hanging around, who are our friends, 
but have we ever stopped to consider that God has something to say about those decisions in our life? And are you willing to submit to his authority on those issues if he does have something to say about it? But after seeing how the Good Shepherd protects his sheep by laying down his life, we're going to look at the second way that Jesus protects his sheep. So point number two is going to be that the Good Shepherd knows whom he is protecting. Verse 14, if you want to follow along, says, I am the Good Shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. So Jesus, like in verse 11, once again uses this I am statement, claiming deity. And by saying that he is the Good Shepherd, he reveals that he's the ultimate protector of us. Verse 14 also talks about how Jesus knows all his sheep. Not only does he just know his sheep, but his sheep know him. It's a two-way street. But going back to verse 3 in chapter 10, it says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So he, he knows us so well that he even knows our name. But it's not just like, oh yeah, like, just knows their name, and that's it. It's not even just like mental assent or recognizing that like we exist. It's that this is an intimate knowledge. He loves his sheep, and he knows them better than they know themselves. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And I watched a sermon recently by Matt Chandler, and he was talking about discipleship. And in that, he talks about the difference between believing and following Jesus. And in a quote, he says this, The Bible knows nothing of you believing in Jesus and having no intention of ever following or submitting to him. And that's just so true. A lot of people view Christianity as just a lot of no's, like don't do this, don't do that, say no to this, and you're good. But that's just not the case at all. The reality is that as Christians, we, rather than just saying no to all these things, we're choosing a life that God knows will lead to joy, satisfaction, and peace. If we truly do believe he knows everything, then we can trust that he knows what's best for us. We have no reason to doubt whether following him is going to end up good for us. But going along to verse 15, it continues this idea, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So he elevates his knowledge again. He elevates it to his relationship with the Father. He knows us as well as he knows the Father. And this makes sense because of the nature of God. God is one in essence and three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even though there are three persons, it's one essence, one undivided mind. And so this is how intimately the God of the universe knows each of us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And I think Psalm 103 helps us see this too. It says, We know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So the good shepherd knows his sheep because he's the one who created them. He knew us before we were created. He numbered our days before we were created. He knows all of this stuff that we can never even 
think to know. And also in verse 15, Jesus repeats for the second time that he lays down his life for the sheep. And that's important because this is the defining trait of the good shepherd. This is the difference between him and these hired hands, these other religious leaders that we see, is that he lays down his life for the sheep. And no one else can do what Jesus did on the cross. It had to be a perfect sacrifice, and he's the only person who could have ever lived a perfect life and will ever live a perfect life. And so we see Jesus protects his sheep, but how? By laying it down his life for us. Verse 16 goes on, and it says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So the other sheep in this passage is talking about the Gentiles. Gentiles are any non-Jewish person. And the Gentiles in the Bible are originally not part of God's chosen people, which are the Israelites. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross will bring the good news of the gospel to the Jews, but not just the Jews. It'll bring it to the Gentiles. And these Gentiles who will believe, it's not going to be two separate flocks. It's not going to be like, oh, well, here's the Christian Gentiles and here's the Jewish Christians. It's one. And that's where we get the idea of the church. We are all one body in Christ. It's not one is better than the other because the Israelites were originally God's chosen people. It's that this is one group, one unified group who is unified through Christ. And not only is it one flock, it's one shepherd. And that one shepherd is Jesus. It is and always will be Jesus. Nobody else could take his place. And Galatians 3.28, I think, helps us see this also. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This helps us see the idea that it's not two separate things or a bunch of different groups or all these different denominations. If you believe in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and rose from the dead, you are part of this one unified church. And then Ephesians 3.6 also helps us see this. It says, To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. They're not separate heirs, separate partakers. They are fellow. They come alongside us. It's not different groups. And so we see this relationship of Jesus knowing his sheep and his sheep also knowing him. It's like this. So let's say, imagine with me, we're walking down the streets of Washington, D.C., see all these monuments, all these buildings, and we come up on the White House. And I see it, I'm standing by the gate, I see the White House, and I'm like, I'd like to go in there. I think that'd be pretty cool. So I go, I find the first security guard or secret service agent that I find, and I say, hey, like, I know who the president is, so you should let me in. I will get laughed out of Washington, D.C. if I say I know who the president is, so you should let me in. I should know who the president is. But the difference is that if the president comes down and tells this, this agent or this security guard that he knows me, I will get in. He will let me in. In this same way, if I want to spend eternity with God and not separate from him, Yes, I need to know Jesus, I need to know God, but more importantly, he needs to know me. And so what I think we can learn from this is that we should never tire of knowing 
our Good Shepherd's voice. We should be regularly studying God's Word, meditating on it, memorizing Scripture, praying, being involved in the church. We should be training our minds to know Jesus' voice, to know our Shepherd's voice, so that we're not deceived. I mean, that's what verse 10 talks about. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is how we don't let this happen. This is how we don't let the enemy win. We train ourselves and we discipline ourselves to know our shepherd. But after seeing that the good shepherd protects his sheep through his intimate knowledge of them, we're going to see the third way that Jesus protects his sheep. So point number three is that the good shepherd's ultimate protection comes through his death and resurrection. Verse 17 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. This is the third time now that Jesus has repeated this statement of, I lay down my life for the sheep. It's pretty clear that he doesn't want us to miss this, if he says it three times within nine verses. And so, this is how Jesus showed his protection over us, is through laying down his life. Once again, it's the defining trait of the Good Shepherd. However, this time, after two times of just saying he lays down his life for his sheep, he doesn't stop there this time. He emphasizes that he's going to take his life back up again. He's not going to stay dead because he can't. Had Jesus not resurrected, prophecies wouldn't have been fulfilled. Jesus is a liar. God is still dead. And so he ceases to be God. And so this is equally as important as Jesus' death. The resurrection is like God's stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice. God's justice has now been satisfied, and our sins have been paid for. These were the problems that kept us from having a relationship with God, but these are no longer problems. I think 1 Corinthians 15, 13, and 17 help us see this also. It says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And verse 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. I mean, that says it better than anybody could ever say it. The resurrection was necessary for us to even think of having eternal life, not separated from God. So going on to verse 18 now, it says, No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. Rather, he willingly chose to die for us. And once again, those things seem so similar. Again, that he, he died either way, but it's the fact that he was willing to. He loved us and was willing to die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. He doesn't need us. Jesus doesn't need me or you or anybody. He is self-sufficient and eternal, but he does want a relationship with us. But we see here that Jesus did what he said he would do. He claims to have authority over life and death, and he proved that through the resurrection. And then this parable ends by Jesus doing what he does two other times in this section by claiming his deity. He says, I have received this commandment from my Father. He claims to be in a relationship with the Father, God the Father. 
And so I was watching Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, the other week. And one of the themes we see is with Lucy, who's one of the girls in the story. And it talks about her journey through the story. But gotquestions.org said it a lot better than I did. And so if you follow along with me, I'm going to read this. And I think that this is just so true and so applicable for us. It says, Her struggle portrays the struggle of all Christians who must follow the path of faith and obedience. Even in the face of opposition, Lucy must go against her friends and family to follow Aslan, who depicts Jesus, who appears to her one night and beckons her to follow him on the path to Aslan's how, a path that others cannot or will not see. But when her friends and the people with her refuse to follow her, her heart's broken, but she abandons Aslan, who depicts Jesus, to stay with the group. When Aslan comes to her a second time, though, he is compassionate and loving towards her, but he does make it clear to her that through her own conscience, she should have followed him, no matter what the cost was of leaving the group. She realizes her mistake and gains from him the strength that she needs. The book says Lucy buried her head in his mane to hide from his face, but there must have been magic in his mane. She could feel lion strength going into her. Quite suddenly, she sat up. She said, I'm sorry, Aslan. I'm ready now. Lucy now had the courage to follow Aslan, even if she will be the only one who does. But she does say that I hope that you will all come with me because I'll have to go with him, whether anyone else does or not. This is such a valuable lesson for Christians of all ages, but especially for us as college students. Lucy's heroism as she determines to follow Aslam shows us three invaluable lessons. Counting the cost of following Christ, the dangers and trials inherent in the Christian life, and the faithfulness of our Savior who will lead us home and from whom we can never be separated from. How many times have we known the right path, known what we should have done, yet still willingly defied that and gone against it? The point of all this is to show that Jesus is the good shepherd worth following. We can trust him and we can look to him for guidance. Sometimes it might be costly. Sometimes it might be easy. But we have assured protection that easy or difficult in our death, through Christ's own death and resurrection, we can now confidently walk through persecution and even rejection because we know what's waiting for us in glory. We have, as Christians, what nobody else has, a true living hope. And I think what we can learn from this is what we talked about early, earlier. It's easy to reduce the Christian life to following rules, to do this and don't do that, saying no to all these certain things so that you get into heaven. You did good enough. You said no to enough things. But after reading this passage, it's obvious that Christ cares about us. He doesn't just want us to just be saying no to all these things. Rather, he protects us. He wants to know us. He wants a relationship with us, and he wants us to know him. So why wouldn't we look to Jesus as our guide? If we believe that following Jesus truly is best and will work out best, why do we willingly reject his ways and pursue our own ways? Have we ever stopped to consider that there could be a better way? What if instead of going through our life hoping we make the right decision and also just saying, God, please bless this decision, 
even though I'm ultimately the one making the decision? What if we stopped and slowed down and prayed about it? What if we sought biblical counsel, went to a pastor, somebody who disciples us? What if we considered biblical principles, found what the Bible had to say about it? Have you considered that there could be a better way than trusting your own gut or just doing what you want? Because it's not worth taking the time to see what God has to say. So as we wrap up, we've seen that as the Good Shepherd, Jesus protects his sheep through our three main points. The Good Shepherd protecting his sheep with his own life. The Good Shepherd knowing whom he's protecting. And the Good Shepherd providing ultimate protection comes through his death and resurrection. After looking at today's passage, we can't ignore the fact that Jesus cares for us and protects us more than anyone else could ever do, even if they wanted to. We also see the dangers of following other people or things and how those other people or things will always leave us empty. They'll never satisfy us and they will leave us feeling empty and abandoned every single time. So I think what we can learn from this is we need to live life with urgency for our own life, but also for the lives of others. We live with an understanding that everybody needs to be saved. We need to be protected. Whether we're aware of it or not, like Stan Lee in the video, it doesn't change the fact that it's happening just because he isn't aware of it. But because Jesus protects his sheep, we should trust him and look to him for guidance. This is not just like a break in case of emergency, like parachute for you. It's a daily dependence on the only one who can sufficiently guide each and every one of our lives. So, if you'll join me in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for everything you've done for us, for sending your son to die on a cross for our sins, taking death that we deserved because you love us. We thank you that you are the good shepherd that guides us, that loves us and cares for us like no one else ever could. We pray that we would live in light of that, that we would not just be okay coasting through life, that we would not be okay just making our own decisions, but that we truly would trust you, trust your will for us, your desire for us, and look to you for guidance, not just in the ways that we want to, the specific ways that we just want to give to you, but that we would humbly submit everything to you and that we would truly be following you and obedient to you. We thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to meet here. We pray that everything we'd say and do glorify and honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.